Hey, everybody. I love that we just did that. Uh, and I just keep thinking about the moment when we come back together and during that greeting time when we're actually, like, I don't know, most of us feel comfortable enough to just hug everyone. I keep imagining myself to, I'm sure some introverts horror, like standing at the very front of the building as people are coming in and just individually like hugging everyone, like a wedding receiving line or something. So anyway, I thought today, if anybody just needs like a little virtual hug or just needs some encouragement or you just want to say what's up, um, would you, if you want, I don't know if you're going to be able to read this, but just send me, you can just text, text me at this number, 401-584-3855 during the service. And uh, I don't know. Just say what's up. Or if you just need a little encouragement, here for you. I'm going to hold this for two seconds longer, and then we're going to keep going. Got it? Okay. Um, <laughs> we are coming to the end of our new normal series. And uh, we've been exploring, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been exploring who we're becoming in this season uh, of quarantine. Like, are we becoming more? Are we becoming less? We're asking questions like, are we awake uh, to the things that a season like this can teach us, uh, if anything, right? And um, we keep going, like, asking the question, like, are we going to, is everything going to go back to normal? Like, should everything go back to normal? Like, are there things in your life that shouldn't? Like, you don't have to go back to normal if normal wasn't good. Are you progressing? Are you moving forward? Uh, and so today, I actually want to talk a little bit about reentry because as we're coming to the end of the new normal series, um, especially if you live in Rhode Island, but I think it's pretty much anywhere across the country right now, uh, things are starting to, to change. Like re-entry is beginning to happen. And so uh, I want to start today with just reading Luke 5, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus's knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we pray, like just on the regular, we, uh, we just want to be expectant. Uh, we want to come to the edge of our couch, the edge of our seat, wherever we are, Lord, and, um, and just be open. Um, we, we ask, Lord, that in some a uh, very real way you would open our eyes that we would uh, see you, our ears, Lord, that we would receive from you what we uh, need to receive, encouragement or correction, Lord, the energy, the strength, um, the feeling that we need for the next season, Lord. And you'd open our hearts 
that we would encounter you. Pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. So I wanna start talking uh, first about Peter and his boats because boats keep showing up in the gospels. Gospels, by the way, if you're new to all of this, are the accounts of Jesus, the the stories that we learn about who Jesus is. Uh, Peter keeps getting in boats and Jesus keeps inviting him to get out of them. Now in the first century, boats were about transportation. Uh, They were about vocation. They were about survival. Uh, In the gospels, boats play this role of illusions of safety or obstacles. Uh, And they were the setting of invitations. They were the setting of most of the invitations that Jesus had specifically with Peter for what was next. So first we have boat one, which is the passage that we just read. When Jesus first, first meets Peter, Peter has just come in from a long night of fishing, completely empty-handed, caught nothing. Uh, Jesus, who was not a professional fisherman, tells a professional fisherman how to do his job. Jesus, by the way, again, just for a little more context here, is a rabbi. So they call him master. He's a traveling teacher, it seems. And he comes and he interacts with these young prepubescent boys who weren't good enough to follow a rabbi. Um, So Peter listens and they catch a ton of fish and their boats begin to sink, the nets begin to break. And in this moment, Peter's response was to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Peter knew that he was in the presence of greatness. And then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish people, which is a whole other sermon in and of itself. And they pull up their boats up on the shore and they leave everything and follow him. There is so much to talk about in the story, but I just want to highlight the obvious. Peter's response to Jesus was to leave everything, everything, the family trade, security, a whole new way of life was opening up to him. A good Jewish boy. And he is like, this rabbi is inviting me to follow him, which is a way of saying, you can, you can do what this rabbi is doing. You can, you can learn from this rabbi. This is uh, Peter's first point of entry into a whole new world. So that's boat one, boat two, uh, Matthew 14. So the context here, and this was one of the first messages actually I gave um, when we stepped into this new season of doing these online broadcasts. The disciples are on a boat, storm rolls in. Jesus appears on the water, walking on the water, And they are like looking through the mist and the storm and the disciples, these apprentices of Jesus are freaked out. So we read in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replies, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. With boat two, Jesus doesn't say, I'm coming to get you. He says, come to me, walk on the chaos with me. Trust me in a place of fear and uncertainty and chaos. He is inviting Peter into a whole new space. He's struck by fear and he's invited to enter uh, into 
I don't know, the next season of his life, the next moment with all sorts of new courage and faith. And who knows what else he carried with him after this moment as Peter finds himself in all sorts of um, just moments throughout his life of being in prison and being pressured from all sorts of sides for the message of Jesus that's going forward. So we've seen Peter get into a boat twice now and leave a boat for Jesus twice. He left the boat to enter a whole new way of being in the world. And then he leaves a boat to walk on the storm. Boat number three, John 21, verse three. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross, buried, risen again, like you do. Um, he starts to make these appearances and it appears his disciples have gone back to the family trade. So he's got these disciples who are discouraged and there's all sorts of accounts of discouragement and doubt. If you've ever just had a hard time coming to grips with the resurrection, um, you're not alone. The scriptures talk about the people closest to him going, this is all falling apart. All the things that Jesus had foretold would happen. They just couldn't, they didn't have enough faith to hold on. And so this is the scene here. So in John 21, I'll start in verse two. Uh, we read, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel uh, from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I love when they do that, by the way, the scripture writers are like, and then these other guys, like not even worth naming. Uh, I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, um, but that night they caught nothing. Familiar scene. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. This ringing any bells. All the lights on your dashboard should be going off right now. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, by the way, that's John who's writing this book. Again, whole other sermon. Refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He says, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, as soon as Peter heard Jesus say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water, which is another funny detail in the story. Apparently he's naked on the boat. I'm unsure. Anyway, now to understand this next section, just know that Peter has denied Jesus to three different people. When the pressure hit, when people were coming for Jesus, Peter, who is one of Jesus's most like, like closest disciples, intimate apprentices, he actually denies that he even knows Jesus to save his own self. So this Peter has gone back to his family trade. He's moved backwards and he has this moment where he realizes Jesus is alive and he leaps into the water. And then the next thing in the scene is they have breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter uh, in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, all right, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, all right, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. He denied him three times. You see, Jesus 
asking him a question three times, like, do you, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus extends an invitation for the future. He says, feed my sheep. Again, feed my sheep. He gives him back his calling and then he ends the passage again with the words that began their relationship, which was, follow me. So to recap all of that, Jesus has called Peter into new life, into salvation, and then new trust, new faith, new mission, and he doesn't stop calling him. He keeps speaking and inviting and affirming and commissioning. Boat three is about re-entry. It's about re-engagement. And this, I think, is what life is like. It's like a series of entries and re-entries. We get pulled out, we get disoriented. Sometimes it's external, sometimes it's internal. We have these moments where we're pulled off course, pulled into a new space where we need to find our footing again. Maybe we could say it like this. Re-entry is about finding our way again. Re-entry is about finding our way again. Now, obviously to talk about re-entry, I have to talk about rockets for a moment. There are two ways that a rocket re-enters the Earth's atmosphere from space. There's uncontrolled entry and controlled entry. In other words, there's in, like, intentionality and there's unintentionality. There's, there's entrance with a plan and without a plan. So in a controlled entry, the rocket is capable of being navigated. Uh, it's following a predetermined course. Uh, and now to have controlled, successful reentry, a rocket needs to slow way down and be designed in such a way that it doesn't overheat and explode as it hits the wall of the Earth's atmosphere. So if you're following here, it's slowing, design, intentionality, charting the course. I mean, this preaches... Like we've begun the reentry process out of quarantine, quarantine and into a whole new future and we can do it well or not. And I think the first step is simply owning that reentry is hard. It's hard. Reentry is hard for uh, an inmate <laughs> who's been in jail for years. It's hard to re-enter and reintegrate when you've been in a world where you were told what to do, where your options were limited, and where you now have disorienting freedom again. Are you tracking with me? Reentry can be hard for the soldier or the student or the diplomat or the missionary who's been immersed in another culture for an extended period of time. And they have assumptions of what they're coming home to based on the past. Of course they do. And so they often engage home like things haven't changed. Home really hasn't changed. They don't realize that they've been shaped by new ideas and social norms. And they don't realize how a return to a new, even like a return to a new physical terrain can mess with their reentry. In other words, not only is home different, they're different. And it would be completely reasonable to assume that you wouldn't experience like any form of um, like culture shock because you're going home, but you're not going back to what you left. The world is not going back to what it was before for probably good and bad. I know this is such a deep and novel thought, but like re-entry 
can be hard. But reentry can also fire you up. I saw a post going around. I'm sure many of you saw this. Um, I can't really tell if it actually was on a wall. It looks like someone photoshopped it on a wall. Um, but the, the post said this is powerful. It said, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalize greed and inequity and exhaustion and depletion and extraction and disconnection and confusion and rage and hoarding and hate and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We, are, we have been given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. Come on, I have two responses to this. Yes, let's charge the hill. And then I have another response, which is a bit more um, sober. <laughs> it's, it's that, oh, that's, that's nice. But if history has taught us anything, that won't happen. Because as they say in recovery, wherever you go, there you are. And we don't uh, escape our nature all that easily. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the cultural moment that followed 9-11. It's like the immediate days following, um, uh, like following what happened, this tragedy. It, it, they consisted of all of these calls to unity and calls to togetherness and calls to love and calls to grace. Uh, and it highlighted, I think, some of our like deepest values as people. Like the, at least the, in the U.S., like there's a sense of like we are going to come together and bond together and take care of one another. And then it seemed to quickly turn to divisiveness, racism, fear mongering, and war. Like the songs of unity grew faint, from what I remember, pretty quickly, and we were left with what was like truly in our in our, a lot of our hearts. Now that said, there were some things that did change as much as these calls to unity and thinking the world's really gonna change and we're gonna come together in all sorts of new ways didn't happen in the way that many thought and projected. Some things did change, like some values emerged actually that we held on to. And you know what I'm talking about if you've ever taken off your shoes, your coat and your belt and then stepped into a giant x-ray machine and then allowed someone to feel you up before stepping on a plane. Like as a society, we re-entered a post-9-11 world with plans and systems to make air travel safer because most of us said in one way or another that we valued that. We valued safe air travel. So really hard, or at least in the moment, hard, annoying systems that now feel totally normal were put into place because we said air safety is really important. I'm betting that in quarantine, there are values emerging. Like just like with 9-11, just like anytime we experience big shifts, positive or negative, any kind of breakthrough moments, or like uh, Sarah talked about a few weeks ago, like Kairos moments. Like in any strange, not normal season of pressure or darkness or external stress, values are gonna emerge. That's why the season has been an odd friend, actually, for some of us. I've heard things uh, from people like, I finally learned to slow down. Or I've been uh, exposed to a FOMO-free life and I'm not going back. That was one of my favorites. I had a conversation with a friend just last night about how um, 
uh, they were saying their friend was telling them, uh, I'm, I'm realizing I'm a workaholic and it's destroying my family. And I've realized through all this that I just love being with my kids. Uh, many of you have said my faith has grown. We sent out like a survey uh, a week or two ago. Uh, and many of you just responded like, yeah, my faith and trust has like, grown so much in this season. I didn't expect that. Um, uh, one person responded, I've wanted to be, someone I was talking to said, I wanted to be a person who, who just serves others more. Like I'm learning to be generous, I'm learning to trust God more. In the negatives and the positives of this moment that we're in, we're being exposed all over again to what we value, to what we really want and to what we don't. And if you're like me, you are resolved to hold on to these values. We aren't going back, right? I read that post, that viral post, and I wanna go, amen. As we reenter, things have got to change. But reentry is hard. And if history teaches us anything, big slogans and hyped posts and moving videos and eloquent speeches aren't gonna get us all the way there. They aren't gonna get us to where we need to go. Reentry requires resolve. Reentry requires determination. Reentry requires the ruthless pursuit of your values. My buddy uh, just the other night was saying, like, I realize since my work has allowed me to work from home, how much more I want to be at home and how much more I value that. And I don't want to miss these early years with my kids. And if when things go back to normal with his work, if they don't let me, I really need to take seriously the question, am I going to quit? Like I, I need to have that sort of resolve. I could hear in his voice, he was preparing for it. And he, he was like, how do you develop that resolve? Well, when you know when you know that value that's emerged is of Jesus, well, then you know it's the right thing and you don't need to worry about the consequences of doing the right thing. You don't need to worry about the consequences of doing the right thing because you know Jesus is in it and it's, and it's right. More than anything, re-entry of all the things, reentry requiring resolve and determination and the ruthless pursuit of these values, undergirding all that is reentry requires Jesus. Jesus to check our values against, Jesus to guide us through the atmosphere, Jesus to guide us as restrictions are lifted and Jesus to give us wisdom to sift through the news and Jesus to help us move toward our neighbor and Jesus to lean on as post-adrenaline depression sets in, Jesus to lead us into greater self-control and into all the fruits of the spirit, love and a greater joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Paul, in one of the first, actually one of the first passages, I don't remember what week it was that we, um, we, we looked at talking about the God of all comfort. Paul is in this place of a like great distress. And, uh, and he, he writes in this letter to the church at Corinth. 
Um, I wanna read part of this uh, in this transliteration. And Paul writes this. He says, we don't want you in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all of this came down on us in Asia Providence. So there was this, this all of, of this hurt and brokenness and pain has come down. We don't know all the details, but he writes, it was so bad that we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to our death and it was all over for us. And as it turned out, this, that, this moment that Paul was experiencing all of this pressure and stress and brokenness, he goes, as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally, which is not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead and he did it and he rescued us from certain death and he will do it again. Here as you and your prayers are part of that rescue. I don't want you in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now lifted in praise for God's deliverance of us, a rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. And then he says this, listen, now that the worst is over, we're pleased that we can report that we've come out of it with conscience and faith intact and we can face the world and even more importantly, face you with our heads held high. But it wasn't by our fancy footwork on our part. It was God who kept us focused on him, uncompromised. Don't try to read between the lines or look for hidden meanings in this letter. We're writing plain, unembellished truth, hoping that you'll now see the whole picture. Paul says in this part of the letter, he says things like, on him we've set our hope. He says, we've made, um, we have made through, we've made it through by relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Relying on God's grace for reentry. God has shown me all sorts of things in this moment that I should value. Quarantine has revealed a bunch of things that I want to become my new normal. Like I'm sure so many of you, I am resolved. And we've talked at length the last few weeks about practices and rhythms. And we've mentioned this website we put together, ourpath.church, ourpath.church, spiritual practices that will help you walk the way of Jesus, that'll help you wade into the water and open the window and experience God, really tangible, practical things you can begin to practice. But we must, like out of the gate, we must cultivate our faith, our faith. Faith at its best is not simply about what you know, but what you do with what you know. Deep faith is about movement. We move with what we know to be true. And here's the challenge, especially in Western Christianity, just to target that for a quick moment. We've often reduced faith as like a movement into a conversion moment rather than a radically transformed life. Focus too often is on responding to God's invitation into salvation while we fail to emphasize how God continues to invite us into his heart. He continues to invite us into mission. Life is about entries and re-entries and entries and re-entries. And so going back to Peter, Jesus keeps saying to him, have faith in me, follow me, learn from me. 
take my teaching upon you. My burden is light and it leads to life. Trust me, you can really walk through and on all the chaos of the storm. And then even when you walk away or you want to give up or you're full of doubt, I will be there with grace and mercy and an invitation to re-entry because re-entry is about finding our way again. Slow down, be intentional to do the next right thing, even if it's hard, because you don't have to worry about the consequences of doing the next right thing. And keep your eyes on Jesus. So, so church, as we begin re-entry, I don't, and please hear this, I don't wanna diminish the very real and hard difficulties of this moment. I also don't um, wanna paint a picture of the future that is anything but filled with hope. Because I see a church filled with more kindness and more grace. I see a church filled with more and more empowered and equipped people innovating and creating and rebelling against injustice and sin and brokenness. I see a church that's willing to do the hard things. I see a church that is willing um, to engage the ruthless pursuit like of what matters most, the church that's not gonna run aimlessly, but with perseverance and focus on eternal things. I see a family full of patience and understanding and compassion. I, I see a people with greater hunger for God. I, I see a people rooted in a love that will guide us through this all.